This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. But off the top in this hour, as mentioned, there's been a lot of talk this week about minimum wage. Now, because Alberta, Ontario, New York, Seattle, a number of jurisdictions all marching toward the same goal, $15 an hour minimum wage. Right, but why 15? Why not 14 or 17 or 19? What's so magical about 15? And what makes it a one-size-fits-all? Maybe some jurisdictions are better positioned than others to absorb that. It's not clear. But as mentioned, Seattle is one of the jurisdictions on its way to $15 an hour. But what's unique about Seattle is that they've been collecting data with the express purpose of trying to measure the impact of the minimum wage. The Seattle Minimum Wage Study Team at the University of Washington... Uh, put out a a study this week looking at the impact of the second round of minimum wage increase in Seattle. They're doing it in phases, as Alberta is. And it's interesting because they found the first phase didn't really much have have much of an impact. Uh, The second phase, however, was a different story. And it found, at least on the employment side, not a big impact. When it came to actual earnings, what low-wage earners were taking home found the equivalent of a $125 tax per month imposed. They say total payroll fell for such jobs, implying that the minimum wage ordinance lowered low-wage employees' earnings by an average of $125 a month in 2016. Evidence attributes more modest effects to the first wage increase. So what was it about that jump from 11 to 13? Does it tell us something about the upper limits of what Seattle can handle? Are there lessons for Alberta here? But should Alberta be doing something similar, gathering data, studying the impact of these these phases? And how easy is that to do? So I want to explore some of this uh, with our friend Trevor Toom, who's an economist at the University of Calgary, also a fellow with the School of Public Policy. Trevor, always great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us here. Thanks for having me. Um, minimum wage, there is an abundance of data on both sides of the border. This is something that is, has been well studied, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's been well studied for decades now, and there, and there lacks a clear consensus because different regions, different industries, you know, different situations, uh, the policy is going to have different effects and disentangling the effect of a particular policy change from other things that might be going on is also fairly complicated. And so methods differ, therefore results differ. And so you can find a range of estimates, some like uh, the recent one out of Seattle, finding a pretty uh, pretty meaningful negative effect of an increase in minimum wage, and others you can find that the effects are, are little or sometimes even even none at all. What do you make of the Seattle research, though? I mean, there are some who are you know, picking it apart. Others who say this is really solid research. So there, there's a variety of opinions out there on this. Sure. So it's absolutely solid research done by credible researchers with some really good data. And, and we should keep in mind that no single paper is perfect. And so, of course, there's going to be uh, critiques offered on the data quality, maybe on the methods employed, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But what I, what I think makes this particular paper unique is that it it brings to bear some more detailed data than has been used before. Typically, if you want to look at where the effect of the minimum wage might bind, you'd think, oh, well, teenagers, lower skilled employees, or maybe industries such as retail or restaurants. And so researchers have focused on employment uh, among those groups and among those industries in order to find an effect. And what the researchers in Seattle did was to show that When you look at it cut in that way, when you look at restaurants, for example, 
you don't find an effect. But when you look with the much more detailed data they have and isolate uh, low-wage, low-skilled workers, regardless of what sector they're in, kind of track them individually, you do find uh, the negative effect appear. And so it's an important, I think, lesson for researchers in other regions that it does matter how you measure things and, and what methods you use. So it's a very important paper in that respect. And in terms of how that, that might happen in the first place, because you might see it on the surface as, okay, I got a business, uh, we're open from nine to five, I employ five people, I pay the minimum wage. Uh, if the minimum wage goes up, I still need those people to, to work and do the jobs that need to get done at my business. Why does it mean reduced hours or, or even lost jobs? So it doesn't necessarily mean that, and different businesses will respond to the minimum wage in different ways. Some will just pass through the additional cost to customers, for example, through an increase in prices. There's some good evidence that, in fact, prices do rise in, in response to minimum wage, and that's one way in which the employment effect would be buffered. Uh, another way is to think about the stock of employment uh, like we would a bathtub. Uh, water comes in out of the faucet and drains uh, down out of the tub through, through the drain. And if you turn down the faucet and put less water into the tub while leaving the drain open, there's going to be less water in the tub. But if you cover up the drain a little bit and drain a little bit less out, the stock of water in the tub may remain unchanged. And so even papers that find minimum wage doesn't affect employment do find that it affects hiring. But with businesses hiring less, uh, that doesn't translate into lower employment because we also tend to find that employees quit less when there's a higher minimum wage. And so it affects turnover in a way that makes this an even more complicated question to answer. Interesting. But this, the Seattle research suggests then that, that hourly rate Hourly wages uh, did increase, but the hours worked were reduced. That's right. And the hours worked uh, fell for two reasons. First, people losing their jobs, and so their hours falling to zero. But also for those that remain employed, hours worked drop as well. And that second channel is also something that some prior researchers had some difficulty identifying. And so even though wages are growing, the dropped hours means that the aggregate payroll is smaller than it was before. Now, Seattle, as I mentioned at the outset, they, they seem unique in that there was an intention from the get-go to collect this data and study this data. Is, is, that, is that valuable? Should other jurisdictions be doing so? So as a researcher, there's no way I could argue with uh, more data uh, yeah. being a bad thing. So certainly more data would be very important. Now, Statistics Canada already collects a great deal of data. Every month we get a new picture about how Alberta's labor market is evolving for various groups in various industries. So the data is there, and researchers will hopefully do a good job at looking at it. In Alberta's case, it's going to take a little bit of time because at the moment, it's really hard to tell the difference between the minimum wage increases and low oil. So, for example, if you look at teenage employment in Alberta, it's down uh, relative to where it was in 2014, and down quite a bit, uh, even among uh, those aged up to 24. It's down pretty substantially. But it's also down in Saskatchewan. And so it, it's going to be hard to disentangle the minimum wage changes from the oil shock so far. Uh, now, in the years to come, as the minimum wage rises again later this year and then again next year, uh, if oil doesn't drop again, you know, maybe then we'll start to be able to more cleanly identify the effect. But the the data is 
already there, and researchers are um, hopefully planning to do some serious work on it. Uh, there is some really good Canadian research on the effect of minimum wage, and I think the best one to date is published out of an economist, David Green, out of UBC, and he does find a negative effect on teenage employment. Interesting. Uh, there was a tweet today from an economist, a U.S. economist by the name of uh, Noah Smith, and he wrote a piece of Bloomberg. But something he said on Twitter I found interesting. He says other cities and states, and presumably provinces too, should have a minimum wage policy of, quote, go slow, look at the data, and be prepared to pull back if things go badly. Is that prudent and is that realistic? I think that is great advice for almost any policy change we might want to consider. Certainly, we we don't want to be pursuing a policy just because of an ideological desire to do so. We want to keep in mind what the objective of the policy is. And and with minimum wages, uh, we shouldn't forget that there are also other policies available to increase incomes of low-income households. So if our concern is poverty... Targeted transfers, for example, might be one way to address it, like the Alberta Child Benefit that was expanded in 2015, for example. Um, And so always checking data, always checking our priors against that data and evidence, and not being afraid to say, oh, well, okay, that evolved differently than I thought, and maybe change our view of things, and maybe even reverse policies. But I think politicians have a tough time, because any time they express a view that's different than what they expressed in the past, they're labeled a flip-flopper. Right. Uh, and I think, yeah, as, as evidence changes, we ought to change our, our views with it. Now, I think uh, there's a great deal of research left to do on minimum wage. The jury is not out yet on what its effects are, and those effects are going to vary across locations. So it's a very complicated area, but certainly uh, we should formulate policy in a way that utilizes data and evidence where possible. But is it fair to say that where there is a consensus, it's that the size and the pace of the increases matter? Absolutely. And and why that's the case is because it matters how many workers are affected and which industries those workers are affected in. So a $15 minimum wage in Prince Edward Island, for example, uh, would affect roughly a quarter of their entire uh, labor force. So that's substantially more than the roughly 10% or so that are affected here in Alberta. And so it'd be quite natural to think that the effect would be a lot larger in Prince Edward Island. So things absolutely vary by Uh, by location. Incidentally, uh, Seattle and Alberta have very similar average wages, and so it it might be that the experience of Seattle is more informative for us, but then again, it it is just one city. So it's a lot easier for economic activity to shift out of Seattle into neighboring locations, for example. That might be something that's more relevant for cities deciding to set minimum wages than entire states or provinces. Well, it's also been noted by others. Do you, do, you, do you agree that there are a lot of differences between Canadian labor markets and U.S. labor markets, and therefore some, some important differences in, in the research? Yeah, I mean, the institutional environment that workers and employers are making their decision in do differ. I mean, we have a much more generous uh, social safety net in general and a more generous income supports, for example. So that may lead workers to respond differently or employers to respond differently. Uh, one thing you see in Seattle, since we're talking about it, is that they distinguished between employers that provide benefits to their employees and employers that don't. And so you have a different minimum wage and a different schedule of minimum wage increases for those two types of employers. And so it, it definitely matters, uh, the availability of other benefits. And in Canada, we tend to provide those benefits to everyone through the state. Um, or, sorry, I mean to say the government. Right, yeah. Um, 
Uh, but the other thing I think most people agree on, I mean, there, there's an upper limit somewhere. People won't agree on what it is, but an upper limit does exist. Even the Alberta NDP didn't go right to $15 an hour right out of the gate. Uh, some wondering if maybe this research suggests that Seattle's already at or near its upper limit. How do we know where, where that is? So it, we should expect that the effect of minimum wages rises non-linearly with the, the, with the minimum itself. And so as you creep further and further up the wage distribution, it affects more and more workers, and therefore any kind of negative effect it has on employment would become more and more visible. And to the extent that the minimum wage can, in certain situations, correct pre-existing market failures, and we don't need to go into too much detail here, but those become less and less relevant as you cover more and more of the labor force. So if we look around the world and ask, what's the typical minimum wage set in developed economies? It, it's, it tends to be at about half the median full-time wage. Uh, so what that means is half of people tend in Alberta to earn less than roughly $30, and half of people tend to earn above it. A minimum wage set at 15 for Alberta would be about 50% of the median. But for PEI, it would be about 80% of the median. So $15 there is really a much um, higher effective minimum wage than it is here. So high-wage jurisdictions uh, have an easier time raising the minimum to particular levels than low-wage regions. Maybe the other question that, that deserves more attention here, I mean, even if the evidence showed that well, we raised the minimum wage, didn't result in job losses, didn't result in hours cut, but did it actually re- result in a drop in poverty? Is it actually accomplishing that? Because I think that's the objective, isn't it? I, I think it's the objective. I really can't speak to the objective that politicians and policymakers have in mind, but my impression is, yes, that is the objective, that it's there to address inequality and poverty concerns. And incidentally, Alberta already has the lowest poverty rate in the country, which might mean it's less important to have a policy initiative here than elsewhere, not to mention the fact that there are other policies that we could bring to bear to potentially uh, more cost-effectively in a more targeted manner with less risk of adverse labor market outcomes address our concern over policy. So I think, uh, sorry, over poverty. So that should be part of the conversation as well. I've seen some research, though, that suggests that people living in poverty are not necessarily the ones earning minimum wage and that those earning minimum wage are not necessarily the ones living in poverty. What's the overlap as we understand it? Yeah, so that's going to vary by region as well. And and what you often hear is minimum wage workers as teenagers working in, uh, or sorry, living with their parents, for example. And they would not be what you would typically think of as someone who is impoverished. Or part-time students, for example, are a very common minimum wage employee. And so that, that's going to vary across locations and across across industries. Um, and, and that's why I bring up the targeted transfers. You know, the government, through what's called the Alberta Child Benefit Program, provides a check, provides essentially a wage subsidy to low-income families with kids. And so it's able to be targeted at groups that have low income that uh, we want to provide assistance to, whereas the minimum wage is a much broader, blunter policy tool. All right. Interesting insight, Trevor. As always, we'll leave it there, but uh, thanks for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. Anytime. My pleasure. Take care. Trevor Toom, economist, University of Calgary, a fellow with the School of Public Policy at the U of C. So some thoughts from him on a minimum wage and how we need to look at it, what the evidence tells us about the impact it can have.
and at what point it starts to cause harm. So it is going to vary by jurisdiction, and that's what to me seems so odd about the $15 an hour. That's what everybody is latched onto, 15 15 got to get to 15 Maybe some jurisdictions, 15 is a little easier to absorb than in others. Probably you could say the same about uh, various communities even within Alberta. Small towns versus big cities, etc. But the b- deeper question there, is it actually accomplishing anything? Is it a way of reducing poverty? It's a real scattergun approach when it comes to poverty because you got people in poverty who don't earn minimum wage in the first place, and you got people who earn minimum wage who do not live in poverty. So if that's your approach to solving poverty, it seems like a pretty ineffective approach. So what is the objective in the first place of raising minimum wage? And if the research that shows a reduction in employment, especially for teens, or even a reduction in earnings as a result of lost jobs or reduced hours, should that give us pause? Should that be a reason to, to slam on the brakes and if we're worried about people in poverty, find another way to help them? 403-974-8255. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.